Good morning. First Bible reading today is from Ezekiel 36, 22 to 28. It's from the New International Version. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 28. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the Lord, Sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, which I am proved holy through your, your, through your eyes before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone, from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is good to be able to chat to one another, isn't it? We can continue to do that over morning tea. But now um, it is time for us to do our second reading, which comes from the Gospel of John. And I'm reading parts of chapter 14, 15 and 16. So probably not uh, easy to do with your devices. Uh, probably best to, to watch on the screen. Um, and it's uh, the part sections of John 14, 15 and 16 where Jesus is speaking to his disciples about his promises concerning the Holy Spirit. So from 14 verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning 
because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. And about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, it's great to see you, to be with you. Um, we're continuing um, working our way through the Apostles' Creed that we just said together, and we've come to the third section. Um, mightn't sound all that exciting, but uh, it's divided into three sections. I believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ his Son is the second section, third section is the Holy Spirit, and what comes out of the Holy Spirit's work, which we'll look at for the next few weeks. Let's pray that this time would be useful. Father, we do believe in the Holy Spirit and we believe your son's promise that you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we ask you this morning that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand his work and service amongst us and that we would live more and more in step with him. We ask for this help, Father, ultimately for the honour and glory of your son. Amen. Hmm. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I wonder what difference it would make if you said, well, I don't really believe in the Holy Spirit. I mean, what, what difference would it make if the Holy Spirit wasn't real and doing stuff? Um, it would make a lot of difference, I suggest. Where do you start to understand the work of the Holy Spirit? I would have thought when I was, you know, first became a Christian um, that the place to start would probably be to go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, uh, a good strong section dealing with the gifts of the Spirit and the difference it makes. But that would be a little bit like going to the emergency ward of Canberra Hospital in order to understand good, healthy, functioning bodies. You, you can learn something about it, but that's, that's really where... It, that's dealing with trouble. And when you look at 1 Corinthians um, 12, 13, 14, that's, he writes those things because the Corinthians are in trouble. They're doing a lot of dumb stuff in relationship to the Spirit. And it's corrective, trying to get things back to health. That wouldn't be the place to start. Romans 8, I think, would be a great place. And I'd encourage you to have a read of that. Not now, but you know, when you get home. 
Romans 8 would be terrific, but the place we've just heard the reading from is the go-to place for this reason. It's what Jesus wants his disciples to know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I take it that Jesus is probably the expert on things spiritual, on the Holy Spirit. So what does he, what does he think it's important that you and I, whether we're Christians or not, but particularly if you're a Christian, that you know and understand about the work and the place and the person of the Holy Spirit? Now, the context we're going to, as you heard, is John 14, 15, 16. This is on the night before Jesus dies. He's washed the disciples' feet. He's given the great commandment about the distinguishing mark of Christian people is that we love each other as he's loved us. Judas has left. It's just Jesus and the 11 at this point. And he gives what is an absolutely crucial bit of teaching about what it is to be his disciple and what it's going to be like after he goes. At the beginning of chapter 14, you've got a number of times when Jesus says, I'm going, I'm going, I'm leaving, when I leave. And we're told, as you heard in that reading, that the disciples are filled with grief. They love him. They can't understand why he would go and how. Well, what would be the one thing Jesus thinks that they need to have when he goes? Well, these passages will tell us. So, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The first thing we're going to see here, which has probably bounced out at you as you heard it being read, is the Holy Spirit is first understood as an advocate. Listen to what Jesus says. This is the first time he's, he's mentioned the Holy Spirit early in John's Gospel in chapter 3 and in chapter 6 and a few other places. Here's the first time he says, right, now let me just teach you about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, verse 15. If it's possible, and it mightn't be to have the verses come up behind me, I understand if it isn't. Um, and if the wrong verses go up, just enjoy them as well. If you love me, keep my commands. Verse 16. I will ask the Father. Okay, what's Jesus going to ask the Father for? I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you. So the first thing is that Jesus' term that he uses to explain to us, his people, who the Holy Spirit is, is this word that's translated Advocate. Now, apparently, there was an adventure story written many years ago. A guy from the 8 o'clock service said he read it but couldn't remember what it was about. was Three Cheers for the Paraclete. Now, some of you all know that the, the, the word in the original language behind this word translated advocate is the word paraclete or sort of parakletos. And it comes from two words in the original language, beside, para, something that's brought in from beside, and the, the second part is the word to call. So Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, and if we understand what he's on about, is he is one that Jesus says is called alongside us, an advocate. Now, it's one of those words, and there aren't all that many in the New Testament, where it's a little bit hard to get exactly the right word in our language that translates that. So if you look at various translations, really good translations, they have different attempts to translate it. So some of my favourite ones describe this word, parakletos, as helper. Another helper will come. Uh, another really couple of good translations use the word another counsellor will come. And this is not so much counsellor as in, you know, Freud and sort of a psychologist, that sort of counsellor. But it's much more like you hear, I don't know if we use it in Australia, but the idea of a legal person being called the counsel. You, you, know, you, you know, you need to see counsel. Uh, so it's, it does come from the legal. And this is where the word is most commonly heard. Uh, someone who will stand beside you when you're in an important legal proceeding, who will give you counsel, who will be on your side, who will help you know what to do next. 
And Jesus says, I'm going I'm to go and I'm going to pray that God would send you another one called alongside. Now, the, the word another is moderately interesting because there are two words that the original language could have chosen. One is another that's different or the other is another that's the same. And it's that one that, that he uses. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to go. I'm going to pray that God would send you someone else like me who's going to be the one called alongside you. So there's a lot of similarity, Jesus thinks, between the, the Holy Spirit, who he here calls the Spirit of Truth, which is worth noting. That's, that's Jesus. Uh, more often than the Holy Spirit, he'll call him the Spirit of Truth. So he's going to call along the Spirit, the one who comes alongside. And it's, it's worth noting that it's always, uh, the words used to describe the Holy Spirit is always, you know, if you, um, hi, hi, my name's Holy Spirit, and my pronouns are he. Not it. Uh, I know lots of Christians who, who obviously are, are walking with the Spirit and love the work of the Holy Spirit. They'll still sometimes pray or talk about the Holy Spirit as an it. I'd rather if you didn't call me an it, although I understand it if you did. But we just got to be... The Spirit is not a force or an energy. He is a person. So in the New Testament, it says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a force, Right? You can outrage the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. But here, that, that, that's the, worth us noting that Jesus is very clear. This is a person he sends who will be our strength and our help. Now, the context when you read John uh, 15 and 16 in particular is the Christians are going to suffer. Jesus is very clear. We didn't read it out, the end part of chapter 15. He, he talks, Jesus says, they hated me without a cause, they'll hate you without a cause. So we've got to, I know it's hard, brothers and sisters, but we have to embrace the fact that at times you will be hated without a cause. Sometimes people hate us because we've been jerks. But if you're trying to find how to be a Christian in a way that you'll never be hated or misunderstood or misrepresented or lied about, you won't find it. You will have to reconstruct the thing so much. Jesus wants us to know that in the very, very short term, 50, 60, 70 years, you may be hated as he was. And he wants us to know that God will give us strength and help. He'll bring this other person who will help us. Now, that's all very well. But if I was the disciples, I think I'd be thinking, well, that's all very well. But I'd rather you just stayed. Right? Uh, I think that would be far better. And who of us hasn't thought, wouldn't it be great if Jesus himself was here? Right? Walking around, slapping us around when we've been stupid and we've stepped away. Right? Healing particular problems that we think we need healing with. I, I, I want to read you a statement that Jesus makes that if I'm honest with you, I have trouble believing. I do believe it. I don't know how to... It's that sort of I believe, help my unbelief. Listen to what Jesus says about how you're better off without him being here. What would he know? Chapter 16, verse 7. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Hear what Jesus is saying is, you are better off, he says, it is for your good that I leave. Because the spirit won't come. There's an order in the way that God has done it. And he, he dies, which actually purchases the Holy Spirit for us. He goes to be back with his father and he will send the spirit as the great replacement. But he says it's a better replacement. So it's not like you've lost your best player, but a reasonably good player comes off the bench. It's not that. Jesus says, I'm going to go off and the team's going to be better without me. 
I imagine some of you would have trouble really going, yes, I get that, Jesus. But I believe because he says it. That's the only reason. Um, he'll send another advocate. And he says, it's worth just noting also that Jesus says, you know the Spirit. He's been with you, he says, in chapter 14, verse 17, but he will be in you. So he says, you've already, you already know him. You've got a relationship with the Spirit. He's with you, but he will be in you. And I take it he's with him because Jesus is the man who is full of the Spirit. He is empowered from his baptism on, especially by the power of the Spirit. So he says, the Spirit is with you. But coming a new day when I go to be back with the Father, and I will ask the Father, he'll send you the Spirit who will be in you, that is within you, like as close as he can possibly get and working from the inside out. That's what he's going to be like. So this is not a second best thing Jesus thinks, although I think many of us may need to grow in our understanding of that. So that's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is to be understood as an advocate, someone who comes alongside to help us in our weakness in times of pressure and stress. Secondly, the other thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is he, he is a... Well, let me read it to you from chapter 14, verse 25. All this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, here's the one time here where he calls him the Holy Spirit, as we often do, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will do what? He will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit comes as a teacher. And later on, Jesus says he will guide you into all truth. He will teach you and he will remind you of everything that I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit comes as our teacher. And one of the ways that he does the teaching is what's discussed in 1 Corinthians. He does it through people, right? through gifts, gifted people. And he does it through his written word. He, that's what he's going to do. He's going to teach us. What's he going to teach us about? What is his topic? Right? You go to most schools, there are teachers of maths, English, other things. Right? What is the Holy Spirit's topic? Well, he tells you in verse Chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify, speak about me. You also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. So Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and teach you and testify about Jesus. Right? That's his topic. Right? Uh, the first 110, well, all the lessons are about Jesus. That's the Spirit's favourite topic. It's his major topic. So the Spirit will be a teacher. He'll continue to teach the disciples. He'll guide them into all the truth. That's why he's called the Spirit of Truth. So any attempt to distinguish between you know, churches or people who are on about the truth and people who are on about the Spirit is silly. Right? Because if it's the Spirit of Jesus, he is the Spirit of Truth. And he will teach us and instruct us, which isn't just in a sitting taking notes. It's getting to know the truth and reality about Jesus. Yes, intellectually, but also at a deeper and more transformative level as well. He will instruct us. He will train us and coach us. He will teach us. The other interesting and important thing he says is that he will teach us, chapter 14, verse 26, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, Jesus doesn't go on about it here, but Christians have from the very beginning looked at it and think, what is that referring to? Well, he will remind the apostles because in the end, as he says in chapter 17, people will believe because of the apostles' words. So it's not just that John had a good memory and Jesus did. You can see it in some of Jesus' teaching. It's actually written, it's set out in a sort of a poetic, rhythmic form, the language. Um, 
but it's saying that the Holy Spirit himself will help the apostles remember what Jesus did and said. So we haven't just got the best of, of very fine human memory, but we've got spirit-empowered uh, memory. Jesus says, uh, the Spirit will teach you, and he will remind you. And the reminder on what they wrote is, is with us here in this book. Now, the Spirit will do another sort of verbal teaching. This is in chapter 16, verse 8. This is the only part where it talks of the Holy Spirit working in the world. The way Jesus often speaks is there's, there's him and his disciples and the world. The world are those people who reject Christ, who refuse to acknowledge him as the Son of God who's come to save. And he, what he's, here's what he will do in the world. Verse 8 of chapter 16. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. Literally that word is when he comes, he will convict the world. Again, Jesus choosing to use a legal word. He will run a case for the prosecution against the world. You will sometimes run into people who suggest that you know, the Holy Spirit is at work in all the religions of the world. If that's true, it's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says the work of the Holy Spirit in, react, in relating to the world that doesn't know him is that of a, a sort of a prosecutor convicting them of the wrongness of the way that they've lived and thought. And um, that certainly was my experience. I don't know about yours. When I became a Christian, I, it, it was a great work of the Holy Spirit. I, didn't even, I, don't, I think I might have known there was a Holy Spirit if you asked me technically, but I had no sense of what it was on about. I used the word it because I'm sure I would have called him an it then. But I, I came up with my own title. Jesus calls the Spirit here the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. I, I came up with my own name for the Holy Spirit, which I notice hasn't taken off really. Um, I nicknamed him the Holy Hassler because I looked back and I thought he has just been annoying me and hassling me for some, you know, about 12 months. And that is what he does. He hassles people. Right? He, he draws them into areas of paying attention to things that they don't want to pay attention to. Here, Jesus says, he does the work of a prosecutor. And I'll tell you what, if you're in court and there's a prosecutor, he is not felt to be your friend because he's trying to convince you that you've got things wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about how the judgment works. So the, the Holy Spirit's work is often, not always, but very often, an uncomfortable work uh, as we begin to take seriously our sin or begin to take seriously the shortness of life and the precariousness of life. And we begin to think about things that we'd rather not think about. Thank you very much. Um, but that's what he does. The Spirit is the advocate of the, of the people of God, and he is the teacher and you see this, this sort of prosecute, prosec, this work for the prosecution. I can't do that, whatever I was trying to do with that word. Um, in the very first sermon that is preached, when the Holy Spirit comes and enters the disciples rather than just being present, and, and this is in Acts chapter 2, um, the Apostle Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon after the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside Christians. Um, and what does he talk about? You know what he's going to talk about, don't you? He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit's favourite subject, which is Jesus. Right? And he gets to the end of it, and the people who are listening don't go, oh, that's a really soothing message, thank you. I think I can get about life better now. I, I really appreciate that bit of a spiritual break. It's not what they say. The last word of Jesus' sentences, uh, of Peter's sermon is, 
Acts 2.36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Does that sound like a pleasant experience to you? Ever been cut to the heart? It's a very powerful image. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They realise that they're in really deep trouble with God. And they don't know how to get out of it. And Peter addresses them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like they have. So this is what the Spirit does. He comes as the one called alongside us to strengthen us and to help us. He comes as our teacher and he comes, does the work of the prosecution in the world generally. I remember um, a guy called Francis Schaeffer, who some of you may have, and he was a, a quite brilliant Christian philosopher. He'd lost his faith. He was a sort of a Christian as a young man, lost his faith, then uh, went away and thought the whole thing up from the ground up, uh, came back to Christ again. And he made the interesting comment that I, it haunted me since I heard it. He said, if I was beside a man who was dying and I had one hour to talk to him about spiritual things, what would I say? He said, I would spend 45 to 50 minutes about sin, righteousness and judgment and 10 minutes on what Jesus has done to rescue him because people just don't, they don't get or appreciate their need of Jesus and the significance of his death until they see their need. The case for the prosecution. Now, thirdly and lastly, the spirit is a humble spotlight. What will Jesus, what will the Holy Spirit speak about? Well, we've told him in 15, 26, Jesus says, he will testify about me. In verse 14 of chapter 16, Jesus says, he will glorify me. And the Holy Spirit has sometimes been called the humble member of the Trinity, although I think they're all humble, because the thing that the Holy Spirit does not want is you to pay attention to him. He wants you to pay attention to him, to Jesus. That's what he's going to speak about. That's what he's going to teach about. That's what he's going to enlighten your mind and your understanding with. That's his work. He will glorify me. So how do you tell if you're in a spirit-filled church? Not by the fact that it speaks about the Holy Spirit. A spirit-filled church will not be one that talks all the time about the Holy Spirit, although it will talk about the Holy Spirit because the Bible does. A Holy Spirit church will be speaking about Jesus. That's where the obsession will be with Jesus because that's who the Holy Spirit, that's his favourite topic. And that's why if ever you're chatting with friends about this Jesus thing or the God thing, um, if you want to be in the, in the area where the Holy Spirit is most likely to help you, Talk about Jesus. Now, you'll find, or certainly my experience is, my non-Christian friends rarely want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk about almost anything else than Jesus. But the Holy Spirit wants you to talk about Jesus. That's his favourite topic. It's the topic he will bless. And that's what people need to hear about, Christ the Saviour. That's his favourite topic. And um, a spirit-filled individual, for example, will be a person who is pretty much obsessed with Jesus. Because that's his topic. He works like a spotlight. Alice and I went to got some really high culture this week. We went to Emmaus Christian School on the, in the Darklands on the north side of the lake. And because um, and, we heard a world famous director was directing a, a kid's musical on Beauty and the Beast. The director just happens to be one of my daughters, but, that's, but she's, 
she's a genius in spite of that. But we went up and watched it, and that was a shortened version. It was a lot of fun. But the thing that you don't notice, because it was at night, the thing that you don't notice is the spotlights. Right? But if they ain't working, no one's seeing nothing. You might be able to see, oh, there's someone moving around, or oh, there seems to be more people milling around. The, the, but you only notice it because the lights are on. And particularly sometimes the spotlight that really focuses your attention. The Holy Spirit functions in our lives like the spotlight. You don't look at, oh, isn't that a beautiful spotlight? Right? That's not how it works. You, only, you, you don't notice the spotlight. You notice what the spotlight is spotlighting on. And the spotlight of the Holy Spirit wants you to notice Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if you're not happy in the vicinity of talking and thinking about Jesus, 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 you need help. Right? The mark of spiritual enlightenment from the Holy Spirit of God is a happiness and a willingness to obsess about Jesus. That is where he will want to direct your attention. Any alleged spiritual life or movement that doesn't direct you to the glory of Jesus and his cross and his resurrection and his coming again is not of God. It might be very spiritual, it might be very successful, etc., but that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all on about Jesus Christ. He's the spotlight. I find that really helpful. I'm, I'm a great lover of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, and, you know, it, it looks great at night. And the thing you don't, well, unless it's sort of vivid or something like that, you don't notice the light. But that's why you can see it. And again, the Holy Spirit is that light. Uh, and he testifies about Jesus. And Jesus says, you also must testify. We speak outwardly, the Holy Spirit does the work inside. The Holy Spirit helps us to keep our focus where it should be, to help people get their focus where it should be, which is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is the great work of the Holy Spirit. He's the spotlight, the humble one. He does not want attention for himself, but he wants to draw people's attention to the Son of God. Well, any questions? I should warn you, shouldn't I? Yeah. No idea. Yeah, I'm assuming there was probably a very good reason, because God does, but He doesn't always tell me the reason. I don't think we're told, but you're right. He, Jesus goes and, and they wait another forty days, I think, isn't it, before the Spirit comes? And He says, "Remember what He says to them in Luke: Don't even think about going and preaching. Here's the best trained group of Christians in history, but they're not ready to go until the Holy Spirit comes and and begins to dwell in them." and then to work through them in that way. But good question. Save that one up for when you're dead and buried and happily in his presence. Yes, Rob, yeah. Yeah, that's, and just in case, you, the question was, is it proper to pray to the Holy Spirit? He is clearly God. So in the Nicene Creed, we say, you know, um, he is worshipped and glorified. I would think Christians may, some Christians won't, um, the normal portrayal of prayer is that you pray through the Son to the Father, but you can certainly pray to Jesus as well. The Scriptures is full of that too. Uh, but, not as, not as, but the normal thing is through the Father, through the Son to the Father. But I think if Christians do pray to the Spirit sometimes, I think that's probably okay. I, it, it's not a thing that I find myself to, but I do often find myself praying that God would 
Empower me by the Spirit. So the thing I often pray before I come up to preach, I often say what um, I learnt that Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to say before he preached. I, I often will say to myself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because I know if he doesn't work, it's a complete waste of time. Even if I could preach really well, that's not going to change anybody. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit uh, that changes, changes the heart. So, and there, so that there are a few hymns to the Holy Spirit that Christians have been singing for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I, I think it should be a, a minor part of our repertoire, Rob. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Next question. Um, yeah, and look, the, the thing with this is like all of these, we could, you could do months literally quite happily working through the whole, because the, the first, I asked our Bible study, our life group on Friday night a question that I thought was going to be ever so clever and, you know, just filling in, and I said, you know, which of the three people of the Trinity is first mentioned by name in the Bible? Bang, oh, a lot of them knew it, I don't know what's going on. And of course the Holy Spirit is the first one mentioned. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then the next verse says the, Holy, the Spirit was brooding on the waters. So the first of the three who's sort of specific, specifically focused. And then he's mentioned, you know, I think it's the fourth or fifth last verse of Revelation. The Holy Spirit is all the way through um, the Old Testament, but, but just occasionally. And the great promise that was read in Ezekiel 36 is a day when coming when the Spirit will, will be sent and, and you'll be motivated to obey God from the inside out, which is a thing that just because of time and this passage doesn't deal with that. It doesn't deal with the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus. He doesn't. The, the life transformation. But it, and we like to be directed by, by what he's saying. We can't do everything at once. Yes, there's a whole... What seems to happen in the, in the... Well, what does happen in the Old Testament, people receive the Spirit to do specific work. So some of you remember that the guys whose job it was to, to build the, the, the tabernacle and the, the um, Holy of Holies and all that stuff, they were, they were filled with the Spirit, given the gifts of the Spirit. Leadership, prophets are filled with the Spirit. The kings of Israel are filled with the Spirit. What comes in the New Testament is that the, that the Spirit comes to all of God's children right? uh, and works in all of our hearts in that way. Yeah. Yes? Yeah, and this is the great... And he, he's also, he's, his Spirit is working in us also to transform us from the inside as well. So, uh, you know, if, if you were playing the piano really well and you could, you'd, you'd learnt the basics... But if the spirit of Beethoven could come and live within you, you'd play his sonatas um, even better. And I think what they're saying, the spirit of Jesus. And in Romans 8, um, the spirit is called the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, he's called. He's called the spirit of God. He's called the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So it is the spirit of Jesus that comes to live. And so that's why it becomes easier, easier to follow. And, and as Ezekiel 36 said, as you heard, he will transform us from the inside. Last question. All right. Just by, by way of um, tying it together and finishing up. Can I encourage you to, to um, read Romans 8 and just, just sit and read it and to see what it teaches about the Spirit, what he does in your life? He will, and there's a number of beautiful things that the Holy Spirit will do for you. And uh, when you read what he can do, you can then pray that you can pray along the lines that he would do that very thing which Jesus says he will do uh, in you. So read Romans 8 and, and use the prayer from Luke 11. When Jesus teaches about prayer, and we're going to be looking at this on a weekend away uh, at the end of October, um, he finishes the bit of teaching by saying, 
which of you fathers, if your son asked for bread, would give him, you know, a snake? Or if his son asked, you know, for a fish, would give him a scorpion? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you look at yourself and say, I really don't see Jesus all that clearly yet, the spotlight seems to be not bright enough for me yet, pray that the Holy Spirit would do that work of focusing you and, and clearing up your eyesight on Jesus. If you say, I'm not even, I'm, I don't even get the Jesus thing at all yet, well, pray that the Holy Spirit will work in you, right? that he'll do his convicting and transforming work. Right? That's his job, and that's why Jesus sends him. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the great giver. You, you, you give us life. You, you, you give us this beautiful world which we've so damaged. You give your son to save us from our sins and from our guilt and to save us from the darkness. We can know what you're like, get a glimpse of your love. And then you give your Holy Spirit to help us to, to get the point of Jesus, to have a renewed heart, uh, to change us that we would follow you from the inside, not just an external set of rules. Uh, and we do pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us, that we would keep in step with him in our lives, that we wouldn't grieve him, but we would work with him. Uh, we do pray that individually you would open our eyes more and more clearly, that your Spirit would glorify your Son, and we pray that we as a community would be truly filled with your Holy Spirit, therefore full of love and full of a joyful obsession with your Son. Please continue to change us from the inside by the power of your Spirit. We pray this in, in your Son's name. Amen.